We have actually reached a point in our country where we are living 1984. We've we've been using Orwellian language for a couple decades now to describe the descent into a dystopian future in our country, whether it's these hate speech codes on campus. We say, oh, watch out. That's very Orwellian for the government to determine what you are allowed to say or what you're not allowed to say and to label anything that they don't like as hate speech. We've been labeling the transgender ideology and this idea, this this redefinition of words where the left says, oh, you can be a girl if you identify as a girl, even if you're a biological boy. We say this is very Orwellian to redefine words in this way. But but our use of this term, the, the warning about something being Orwellian or the behavior of the left being Orwellian, that it, it's been exactly that. It's been a warning. We've been prophesying that 1984 is what our country is going to turn into if we don't stop the left from what they're doing. And so it's always been this, 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 this beacon, this warning, this clanging of the bell, this, this warning that if we don't stop what the left is doing, then we, at some point in our future, will face a situation where it will be 1984 here in our country. Well, we've we've arrived. We're here. We actually are 1984 right now. Biden has debuted an actual literal ministry of truth from George Orwell's 1984 novel. The ministry of truth, he's calling the Disinformation Governance Board. It's headed by this woman, Nina Jankowitz, who is a ridiculous person. But he, here's the thing. Here's the thing that a lot of conservatives miss. Nina Jankowitz is certainly a ridiculous person, but so is Kim Jong-un, right? With his Hillary Clinton pantsuits and his weird sushi tastes and his um, absurd poor quality music videos in which he is supposed to be the star. I mean, you can be a ridiculous person and that can also be inconsequential to your ideology. And that's exactly the, the case with Nina Jankowitz. Sure, her, her videos about Mary Poppins are absurd. She's unserious, but that's actually inconsequential to how poisonous her ideology is. And the Biden administration has tried to hide her this week as we've watched the leak of the majority draft opinion on Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health. As we watch this leak unfold, the Biden administration has tried to use that story to distract us from the announcement of this disinformation governance board. And we should not for a second allow this to distract us because what's Nina Jankowicz actually believes what forms her ideology and how that is going to inform how she wields her power as this czar of disinformation on Biden's disinformation governance board is actually terrifying. So let's dig into that. I'm Liz Wheeler. Welcome to The Liz Wheeler Show. I like Beam Organics because it solves a problem a lot of us have. Did you know that poor sleep can cause weight gain? It can cause mood issues, poor mental health, and lower productivity. And that if you sleep less than six to seven hours per night, it can be linked to reduced white blood cell count. Not many people realize this, but having a consistent nighttime routine is so important to your body's health. A better tomorrow starts tonight. Introducing Beam Dream. Beam is the world's most innovative functional wellness brand with unique products for everything from sleep to recovery. And today you get a special discount available for Beam's sleep product, Dream Powder, their best-selling healthy hot cocoa. 98% of people surveyed fell asleep faster when taking Beam Dream and 99% of people experienced better sleep quality. You just mix Beam Dream into hot water or milk, 
stir and enjoy 30 minutes before bedtime. You can find out why Forbes and the New York Times are all talking about Beam and why it's trusted by the world's top athletes like Danica Patrick and Baker Mayfield. If you don't love it, you can get your money back guaranteed. For a limited time, get $20 off when you go to beamorganics.com slash Liz. You have to use my URL, beamorganics.com slash Liz and my promo code Liz at checkout. That's B-E-A-M organics.com slash Liz and use my promo code Liz for $20 off at checkout. Okay, so this this disinformation governance board, what is this? What is this? The Biden administration rolled this out last week. It is under the helm of the Department of Homeland Security because the Biden administration is trying to contend that our speech is actual violence, that what we say is actually so violent that it constitutes a threat to our country. So this is obviously a red flag in and of itself. Not only is the Biden administration not supportive of free speech, not only are they against free speech, not only did they form a task force dedicated to restricting our free speech under the law, but it's under the helm of the Department of Homeland Security, which means the Biden administration views your words as violence and they want to, they want to stop us from saying things that they don't want to say. And they're using this idea that our words are a threat to our national security to stop us. So that is the that is the what it is of the Biden uh, Disinformation Governance Board. The funny thing is, is what this is in response to, this is in response to Elon Musk buying Twitter. The Biden administration rolled this out literally within weeks of Elon Musk um, agreeing with the Twitter board to acquire Twitter. And of course, the reason Elon Musk is buying Twitter is because he wants to repurpose it or rededicate it to free speech, restore it to its original intent, which was a marketplace of ideas, this, this digital town square where we all bring our ideas, we compete our ideas, good and bad, nasty and, and holy, and that's what it is. It's, it's, it's free speech. It's, it's the good, the bad, and the ugly. And Elon Musk decided to buy Twitter, and the response from the Biden administration is a disinformation governance board. Now, it's not just Joe Biden here. Joe Biden is a doddering fool. He is, he is uh, cognitively incapable of coming up with an idea like this. So who prompted this? What was behind this? We're going to get into that a little bit later in the show because it's really fascinating to unpack exactly who the they are when we say they are controlling Biden. So stay tuned for that later in the show. Um, other countries have done similar things to what Joe Biden is trying to do now in America to us Americans with this disinformation governing board. Um, anywhere from Britain, where they they don't uphold free speech anymore. In Britain, actually, you can say something online, and if the government determines that you intended that comment uh, maliciously, then you can be punished under 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 criminal statute. In Britain, you can you can be fined. You can you can have a criminal penalty. You can. You can be labeled a criminal if the government determines that what you said had unkind intent in Britain. And, and that's the westernized version of this, right? The westernized version, I mean, in Canada, there are hate speech laws where if you're determined that you said, it was determined that you said something um, maybe transphobic, then you can be punished under, under the law for contradicting radical leftist ideology, for stating objective truth, for not affirming, and I use this word in quotation marks, I use this in a non-serious way, for not affirming the transgender identity. This, this is slowly creeping into Western nations, this idea that free speech is harmful. In fact, the left no longer actually uses the phrase free speech because 
it has positive connotations, right? Freedom is good. Speech is good. Free speech is a, is a foundational principle of governments such as ours. But the left no longer uses this phrase free speech. They now use a euphemism um, for what we would call free speech. And, they, and it, it encompasses their agenda of restricting our speech. They call it the appropriate limits on public speech. The appropriate limits on public speech, which of course, like I said, it's a euphemism for government censorship or for government using their business interests or their business partners, if you will, like big tech, to censor us. But it's it's a euphemism for censorship because it, it encompasses, it comprises this idea that there are limits on what's appropriate and therefore there must be someone that is the arbiter of that limit and then the enforcer of the limit that has been determined by whoever is determining that limit. Now, the government claims for themselves at least one, if not both of those roles. They will determine what the appropriate limit on public speech is and either they will enforce it or they will use the Disinformation Governance Board to pressure big tech to be their enforcer. Again, we'll get to we'll get to all of that too, but this, this idea that free speech is violence this idea that our words are so dangerous that they pose a, a, an existential threat to the security of our country, this is not just something that the radical left here in the United States is, is doing. This is creeping into other Western nations. And of course, we see, the, the, we see I don't even want to call it the extreme examples. I want to call it the, the logical endpoint of what the policies that the Biden administration is rolling out right now, what the logical endpoint of those policies are. And we can look to countries like China countries like Cuba, countries like North Korea, countries like Russia, to see the logical endpoint of policies like Biden's policies. Because the, the, the problem, besides, besides the inherent problem with Biden's policy, the inherent problem being free speech is good and the government shouldn't be censoring people's speech or the government shouldn't be pressuring big business to censor people's speech. The other problem with this is that the, the problematic application is what I'll call it. The problematic application of this is that there's no limiting principle. There's nothing that prevents this idea that if the government is the arbiter of free speech, if they determine what the appropriate limits on public speech is and become the enforcer, there's no way to stop them from applying that same playbook to any other aspect of their political agenda, not just, you know, whether it's election integrity, whether it's transgenderism, whether it's, it's anything whether it's COVID-19, whether it's vaccines, whether it's big pharma, whether it's Fauci, whether it's abortion, whether it's any number of radical leftist agenda items, there's no limiting principle when the government becomes the arbiter of speech that would stop them from applying that censorship to any other area where it's politically advantageous towards them. And so for them, and so these, these other countries, whether it's China, whether it's Russia, whether it's Cuba, whether it's North Korea, we see that they are simply several steps ahead of where Biden is in censorship. They are several steps ahead of um, the inevitable conclusion of the government being the arbiter of speech, the government's taking on a censorship role. In China, you're not allowed to criticize the government. You're not allowed to criticize the, the Chinese Communist Party. You're not allowed to call uh, President Xi Jinping Winnie the Pooh, even though he looks dead on like Pooh Bear. Dead on. Don't believe me? Google it. Google Xi Jinping and Winnie the Pooh and you, I promise you, will laugh your head off. Did you know they're not even allowed to watch Winnie the Pooh, the show, in China because of this insult? 
And this is a personal insult, but this is how much control the Chinese Communist Party, the Chinese government has over speech. That they don't allow people to even say the words Xi Jinping looks like Winnie the Pooh because it hurts the feelings of this, this communist dictator. And again, that's, that's not inherently political, but they also apply it to politics. They don't allow Christians to be Christian. You're not allowed to evangelize the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can be thrown in a re-education camp. Your family can be, can be worse than, than face discrimination, can be actually targeted. You can, if you don't toe the line speech-wise, with the Chinese Communist Party dictates, then you know they use their social credit score to determine what you're allowed to do or what you're not allowed to do. You might not be allowed to get a job. You might not be allowed to send your children to private school. You might not be allowed to buy a plane ticket and fly anywhere. You will be punished if you do not follow the dictates regarding your speech of the Chinese Communist Party and your family members can be punished too. And so, as I said, this is, this is the logical endpoint of the policies that Biden is now openly, flagrantly, blatantly bringing here to the United States. There's no limiting principle on what Biden is doing. The difference between what Biden is doing and what the left has tried to do on college campuses the past decade, what makes this new, what makes this the arrival of 1984 is the fact that it's official. The fact that this is a declared motive that the Biden administration is not only embracing philosophically, but they have now set up a task force intended to enforce this. And the difference is we've known for decades that the left doesn't appreciate free speech. We've known that they don't like our speech. We've known that they're threatened. Their, their, their ideology is threatened by truth and reality and facts when we speak them. We know that they have used tactics that are truly intended to stifle our speech, but they've always masked them in other euphemisms, whether that's tolerance, whether that's inclusion, whether that's standing up for marginalized communities, whether that's, you know, the hate speech. They've pretended it's about something else. They've pretended it's about protecting somebody else or helping vulnerable people. They've never admitted that they simply don't want you to say what you want to say that they want the government to determine what you're allowed to say. And now we just have, you know, the gloves are off. The Biden administration has admitted on an official basis, this is administration policy now, that they want government to be the arbiter of free speech and then the enforcer, either, either the enforcer themselves or the de facto enforcer when they, when they tell big tech what, to, what um, terms of service to enforce, what kind of speech to allow or not to allow. And so Nina Jankowicz, again, a ridiculous figure, but her ideology here is what we should, is, is what's critically important and really what's terrifying because her ideology informs her behavior. Her ideology informs what she is going to determine to be the appropriate limit on public speech and how she is going to wield that power as, as the czar of this disinformation governance board. So I read Nina Jankowicz's book, um, I read her book. She she wrote a book two years ago called How to Be a Woman Online. And it deals with this exact issue. It deals with what people ought to be allowed to say online, the ideology behind free speech, um, what role big tech should play in censorship and what role government should play. And I wanna I, I want us to walk through a little bit of what she wrote because she lays out the playbook. She lays out her philosophy, her ideology, and an actual strategic tactical playbook for exactly how she is going to become as now a law enforcement officer of the federal government under the Department of Homeland Security as czar of this disinformation governance board, how she is going to, exactly how she is going to um, police our speech. 
So this is what she writes in her book, How to Be a Woman Online. And by the way, you are welcome for spending my entire plane ride <laughs> reading this noxious garbage. Um, it is quite something that, that this was actually published. Helpful for us, because we can see a peek into her mind, a peek into what her toxic ideology is. This is what she writes. While online vigilance is certainly warranted at times, I worry, she writes, that young women today cut off a valuable avenue of self-expression and political and social engagement. They do not see the online world as it exists as one in which they can freely express themselves. So this, she's talking about women facing uh, bullying online or women facing mean comments, especially mean comments related to their gender, right? So being called a bimbo, being called maybe even a bitch, being called the C word, um, all, all kinds of gendered insults, we'll call them. And that's nasty. That's nasty. I'm, I'm not defending that by any stretch. I mean, you and I know, anybody who's peeked in my mentions on Twitter knows that uh, I face this as well. There, it, it's indefensible. It's gross, right? But there's a reason that Nina Jankowitz is, is, is picking this topic as her starting point for how she defines the appropriate limits of public speech because she's picking this because it doesn't matter what side of the aisle you're on. It is indefensible. No one likes this, this trolling. No one likes this nasty vitriol that's hurled at women online. So just keep that in mind that she's picking this on purpose because it is indefensible. She goes on to say, social media platforms are just beginning to take these attacks and their downstream effects on democracy seriously. Governments, she writes, continuing their long history of failing women and systemizing misogyny have, by and large, refused to see the urgency of these problems. Okay, so combined the first quote that I read with the second. So she worries that young women who face, or maybe not even young women, just all women who are in the public eye, who face vitriol hurled at them online are going to self-censor in the face of this vitriol, that they are going to pull back, they are going to stop or reduce their participation in um, in the political discourse, reduce their participation. And she says, she defines this as downstream effects on democracy. This is, this is extremely um, important in understanding her playbook. So first we have the vitriol, which is indefensible. As it applies to women, she says the result of this inevitably is that women don't participate in the political discourse as much because of this trolling, and that has downstream effects on democracy. She then says, law enforcement are not equipped to handle online harassment, abuse, and disinformation, both in their training and background and the infrastructure of the legal system itself. Okay, so now we have what she wants to do about this problem. She posits that our legal system is not set up correctly, meaning she thinks that there are not enough laws or not the proper laws governing this kind of speech, um, their training background and the infrastructure of the legal system itself. So now she starts pulling together these, these three things that she has posited, that trolling causes women, trolling online, mean comments, insults, causes women not to participate in political discourse and then she says that has a downstream effect on democracy itself. And law enforcement doesn't address this because the legal infrastructure doesn't allow them. So where does that leave us? What does that tell us about her strategy? I like Relief Band because it is all natural. And did you know that one out of three Americans regularly suffer from nausea? Whether it's from car sickness, anxiety, maybe migraines, or maybe your medication makes you nauseous. That's why you have got to check out Relief Band. 
Relief Band is the number one FDA-cleared anti-nausea wristband that has been clinically proven to quickly relieve and effectively prevent nausea and vomiting associated with all these things, motion sickness, anxiety, migraines, hangovers, morning sickness, maybe chemotherapy, and so much more. Relief Band stimulates a nerve in your wrist that travels to the part of the brain that controls nausea. Then it blocks the signal that your brain is sending to your stomach telling you that you are sick. The product is 100% drug-free. It's non-drowsy, and it provides all-natural, long-lasting relief with zero side effects. Zero. For as long as needed. You can join the over 100,000 Relief Band users with an exclusive offer just for you. If you go to reliefband.com and use my promo code, Liz, you'll receive 20% off plus free shipping and a no-questions-asked 30-day money-back guarantee. So head to reliefband.com. It's spelled R-E-L-I-E-F-B-A-N-D.com and use my promo code Liz, L-I-Z, for 20% off plus free shipping. Reliefband.com, promo code Liz. So she's setting up, Nina Jankowitz in her book is setting up this playbook for exactly how government can censor your speech, right? She goes until, this is what she writes, until platforms, governments, and employers actively begin to make the structural changes necessary to make the online environment more equitable, we need strategies to deal with online misogyny and to fight for a world that recognizes our rights to free expression online are just as valuable as our abusers, right? So she talks about what these structural changes, what she means by structural changes, what she means when she says that our legal system is inadequate to address this, this, this vitriol that women sometimes face online. She references a particular book and she says, quote, the authors, both lawyers, lay out how thoroughly inadequate the American legal system is for responding to the unique challenges women face online. By comparison, she writes, Britain has a malicious communications act, which among other things, criminalizes trolling meant to deliberately cause distress and anxiety. So think about this for a second. She is advocating for us here in the United States to adopt a law or a legal structure that is similar to Britain's Malicious Communications Act, which is an assault on free speech. I mean, it decimates free speech. If the government of the UK determines that something you say was intended as to be mean, intended to cause someone to be agitated and intended to call them stress or anxiety, you can be punished under the law. You become a criminal in the UK. So, so this strategy then can, can be summarized as follows. She says, okay, you take these mean comments online, which we all agree are indefensible. You take these mean comments online and she says, what are the results of these mean comments? And she posits that the results of these mean comments cause women to self-censor, cause women not to participate in political discourse. And she says not participating in political discourse means that you are not, as a woman, participating in democracy. She says when women don't participate in democracy, that constitutes a threat to our democracy, a threat to our democracy. She says it's an existential threat, a threat to national security when women aren't participating. They aren't being their authentic selves. She, she posits this idea that women online, especially, have a right to be their, quote, fully authentic selves without facing any, any response, really, any, any bullying, any mean comments, any criticism, any debate, any pushback. And she thinks that it's the job of the platform and of the government to make sure that women can be their fully authentic selves on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook, on YouTube, without facing any of this criticism or pushback or mean comments. And if they do face this, it's a threat to our democracy because it causes women to self-censor and not participate in this political discourse. So it's, it's amazing to see 
how she's laid this out, how a mean comment, someone criticizing a book review online or calling her a bimbo, how all of a sudden that can justify government coming in and censoring speech because she has now drawn this thread from a mean comment all the way to an existential threat to our democracy. And most of the time, when it comes to our fundamental rights, people, meaning the American citizens, are more willing to consider giving up our basic liberties in exchange for security. You remember that famous saying from Benjamin Franklin that people who are willing to exchange liberty for the idea of a false security um, will get both, but to serve neither. And, and that's true, right? When you, when you give up a liberty in exchange for the idea of security, then you, you won't ultimately have either liberty or security. And we saw this happen in real time during COVID when the government told us that this threat to public health, that you will die of COVID or your grandparents will die of COVID, vulnerable people will die of COVID. If you don't sacrifice your right, if you don't lock down, you don't let the government lock down your business and prevent you from going to church and force you to have a vaccine and fine you if you don't wear a mask, all, all of these different, these, these different rights are different freedoms, are liberties that so many people were willing to give over to the government, allow the government to take away from us for the idea of security in exchange, it resulted in neither, right? Well, that's exactly what Nina Jankowitz is proposing. This is her playbook that she's proposing um, in, in her book. And she also, by the way, she also suggests that all women should go to therapy. All women should go to therapy if they experience this online. And this, this is not, I'm not just making fun of her. I'm not just demonstrating or allowing her to demonstrate that she's an unserious person or an absurd person, an absurd person. This is fundamental to how she defines gender disinformation, right? So let me read this. She says, when I first told her, my therapist, about the online abuse I was experiencing, I downplayed it a little, she writes. Just some crazy people on the internet who have nothing better to do with their time than harass me, I laughed. I didn't get anything so bad, no rape threats, and I haven't been doxxed yet. But as I continued to tell her about the experience, my true emotions bubbled up. I was upset. I felt wronged and helpless. At the same time, I was wondering if I was overreacting. My therapist helped me acknowledge that my reactions were not only valid, they were normal and not an overreaction in the slightest. If I wanted to discuss every last one of the abusive tweets I was sent, she would be happy to do so. But wait, she says more. She says, other women I interviewed for this book also value therapy. Nicole Pelroth, or Pearl Roth told me that it has been incredibly helpful for her after a particularly difficult review of her book by a man who Nicole felt was willfully misunderstanding her work because of her gender and lack of technical bona fides. I put my computer down and I went to my therapist and read him the review she told me. Her therapist said, you know what that is, Nicole? That is a bruised male ego. So I don't read this to you purely to make fun of Nina Jenkowitz sounding, you know, like, I mean, this sounds like a victimized feminist screed, right? She sounds like uh, a wine drunk cat lady painting herself as uh, a, a, as a victim here. It's, it's That's not even the point that I'm trying to make here. The point that I'm trying to make is when Nina Jenkowitz defines or, or coins this phrase gender disinformation, you and I need to ask, what does she mean when she says the phrase gender disinformation? Because gender disinformation is this premise upon which censorship of us online is going to be built. And so when she says gender disinformation, I want to know what she means by this. And she tells us in her book what she means by this. She gives this concrete example, a particularly difficult review of her book by a man who Nicole felt was willfully misunderstanding her work because of her gender. So literally a bad book review sent this woman to the therapist. Again, I'm not commenting on this woman. I don't care if she goes to a therapist. It seems like a little 
a little fragile to me to go to a therapist based on a bad book review. I mean, come on, whatever. She can make her own life decisions. The point of this is that Nina Jankowitz is using this example to help define gender disinformation. Gender disinformation, meaning any speech online that upsets a woman that might reduce her participation in political discourse, which is a threat to our democracy and an existential threat to national security. And now this woman, Nina Jankowitz, is actually part of our federal apparatus. She is part of the Department of Homeland Security. She is the czar of the Disinformation Governance Board, which has defined their role as identifying disinformation that might threaten our national security. And she told us in her book exactly how she does that. 1984 has arrived. We are no longer just ringing the bell. We are no longer sounding the gong. We are no longer taking our megaphones and saying, listen, if we let the left do this, we are going to face 1984. We are actually facing it. It is here. It has arrived. And it'll come as no surprise to you that the ideology of Nina Jankowitz is rooted in Marxism. She actually writes in her book about intersectionality. Intersectionality. I'm actually going to read you what she says first. She goes, quote, the concept of intersectionality has become the bogeyman of the far right and critics of so-called cancel culture, but it must be at the core of our understanding of the online environment in our quest for a more equitable internet. The term intersectional feminism was coined, she writes, by Kimberly Crenshaw in 1989. More than 30 years later, she told Time Magazine, Crenshaw did, intersectionality is a lens, a prism, for seeing the way in which various forms of inequality often operate together and exacerbate each other. End quote. Who's Kimberly Crenshaw? Kimberly Crenshaw is the godmother of critical race theory. It was Kimberly Crenshaw who admitted that critical race theory academics, those who were the proponents of critical race theory, were actually Marxists, right? We did the background research. We knew that critical race theory was a descendant of critical theory, which is Marxist theory from the Frankfurt School in the 1960s. But Kimberly Crenshaw admitted that critical race theory was in fact critical theory. Her quote was, we, meaning those who are proponents of critical race theory, we are critical theorists who do race. Kimberly Crenshaw is not only a proponent of critical race theory, which is awful, and intersectionality, which is awful, she admits that she is a critical theorist, a Marxist, who is simply focusing this, this, this call for a Marxist revolution by dividing our nation by race, recognizing as critical theory posits that a worker-led revolution is not going to happen, that we need a new vanguard, and using racial minorities as that vanguard. And Nina Jankowitz quotes her on intersectional feminism in her book, which means that her ideology, her poisonous ideology, which we just demonstrated, is also rooted in the same Marxist theory. So as I said, her ideology is toxic. Her book provides, Nina Jankowitz's book provides a peek into her mind and her political philosophy, which informs how she's going to wield her power at the disinformation board, uh, the disinformation governance board. The other thing here, and this is what I mentioned at the very, very beginning, that there's no limiting principle on the idea of defining certain speech as violence. What, what's going to stop the government from not just focusing on mean comments towards women online, but what's going to stop the government from labeling any speech that they don't like as a threat to our national security, an existential threat to our democracy, and therefore worthy of being censored by the government? And it's important that Nina Jenkowitz focuses on this indefensible part, this vitriol against women online, because it helps move the Overton window in the mind of the people. Now, I like Moinkbox because they are helping keep the United States independent from China. Did you know that 60% of U.S. pork production comes from one company owned by the Chinese? Their hogs are given something called ractopamine, which is banned in 160 countries, including in China, 
yet you find it in your grocery store aisle every day. There's a better way. I'd like to tell you about Moink. Moink delivers grass-fed and grass-finished beef and lamb, pastured pork and chicken, and sustainable wild-caught Alaskan salmon straight to your door. Moink farmers farm like our grandparents did. And as a result, Moink meat tastes like it should because the family farm does it better. It's, it's so easy to, you choose the meat delivered in every box. Plus you can cancel anytime. I love Moink because they are committed to our country, to the United States. And I know you'll like it too. My husband can attest to the fact that Moink meat tastes good. So keep American farming going by signing up at moinkbox.com slash Liz right now. If you use my URL, moinkbox.com slash Liz, then you can get free filet mignon in every order for a year. That is one whole year of the best filet mignon you'll ever taste. But it, this offer does is for a limited time. It's spelled M-O-I-N-K box.com. That's moinkbox.com slash Liz. So it moves the Overton window. So the Overton window is this theory that there are, are limits on what on what the public will tolerate. There's limits on what we consider normal, acceptable behavior in our country. And I mean, you can think of it like a literal window. We, we have these, these two marks where we, we don't believe that far leftist ideology is appropriate or far right ideology is appropriate. We don't accept the racism that comes on both ends, both extreme ends of the political ideology. But what people like Nina Jankowitz are doing is they're trying to move one side of the Overton window closer to leftist ideology so that the American public, because of this government policy, the American public only accepts a much narrower um, a much narrower ideology as appropriate, something that we consider to be normal. She wants to narrow this window so that only leftist ideology is publicly accepted. And she's going to use the government from her role as, as disinformations are in order to in, enforce this. Um, okay, so now you might be thinking, well, she doesn't have any enforcement power as the czar of the disinformation governance board. Even Mayorkas admits that she doesn't have the power to actually censor you. She's not big she's not big sister in a sense. Well, she is though. Mayorkas is not being completely honest about this. And he he this is revealed because he he knows that this is a very unpopular opinion. He knows that this is backfiring on the Biden administration. He knows that people think that this disinformation governance board is is creepy because it is really creepy. So he made the rounds on the Sunday morning shows to defend Nina Jenkowitz. Yes, she couldn't defend herself. And he's the one who vocalized what Nina Jankowitz vocalized in her book that um, our words could possibly be construed as a threat to national security. Let's talk about a, a different topic, which is uh, what you are calling, your department is calling the Disinformation Governance Board. You unveiled that uh, this week. Republicans are calling it Orwellian and comparing it to the Ministry of Truth in the novel 1984. Can you clarify what exactly is this? What exactly will this disinformation governance board do? Will it monitor American citizens? Dan, I'm very pleased to do so. It, it, it's clear. I mean, th those criticisms are precisely the opposite of what this small working group within the Department of Homeland Security uh, will do. And um, I think we probably could have done a better job of communicating what it does and does not do. So the, the fact is that disinformation that creates a threat to the security of the homeland is our responsibility to address. Mm -hmm. And this department has been addressing it for years throughout the years of the prior administration and an ongoing basis. 
disinformation from Russia, right. China. We know the Iran. problems, but it's still not clear to me how this governance board will act. What, what will it do? So what it does is it works to ensure that the way in which we address threats, the connectivity between threats and acts of violence are addressed without infringing on free speech, protecting civil rights and civil liberties, the right of privacy. And the board, this working group, internal working group, will draw from best practices and communicate those best practices to the operators because the board does not have operational will, authority. Will American citizens be monitored? No. Guarantee what, that. Well, so what we do, we, we in the Department of... So he vocalizes what Nina Jankowicz says in her book that disinformation can be a threat to democracy. What is disinformation? Define it, Mayorkas. Tell us what disinformation is. There better be really strict standards of what you're talking about if you're using the government to say, the government to enforce the idea that disinformation is such a threat to our democracy that it must be censored. Brett Baer asked Mayorkas um, for this definition of disinformation and his response was unsatisfactory. Was the Steele dossier disinformation? I, it's not for me to, to opine on you that. You know, Americans are general. Dude, if you can't even define the fact, if you can't even acknowledge the fact the Steele dossier was the actual definition of disinformation, the actual definition of lies compiled to slander the character of a political uh, opponent of Hillary Clinton, a political opponent of Barack Obama. It was weaponized and used to try to take down a duly elected president. If you can't define that, are you kidding me? that you're going to try to define online speech coming from conservatives as disinformation. This is so dangerous. So go back to the first clip for a second. So what does Mayorkas say is the role of this disinformation governance board? He said the role is to disseminate best practices. Well, what are best practices? What, what are best practices? Can you define that? He doesn't define that, but he does, he does tell us exactly where Nina Jankowicz's power, where her enforcement mechanism lies. He says, disseminate best practices to operators. Well, who are operators? Operators like Facebook, like Twitter, like Google? Because we know Jen Psaki's already told us that the federal government, the White House, meets with big tech and tells them what to censor, what information is, is dangerous, what's COVID disinformation, what is inciting an insurrection. We know that the White House is actively involved with telling big tech what they should censor. And that's the enforcement mechanism of Nina Jenkowitz on the disinformation board. Mayorkas admits this. And when Mayorkas is asked, well, in order to even consider this idea, I mean, Nina Jenkowitz is a partisan. She's a very far leftist. She's admitted this. And Mayorkas denies this. Republicans are criticizing your decision, the administration's decision to choose Nina Jenkowitz to lead this disinformation board. They say she is not somebody who is neutral. Your response? eminently qualified, a renowned expert in the field of disinformation. Absolutely so. Oh, she's neutral. Neutral. No. I mean, this, this is not, this is, this is patently unbelievable to anybody who has a shred of common sense. Nina Jankowitz is obviously far left. I mean, you can read her book like we just did together, and you can see that she is very far left, that the policies she supports are very far left, that she wants to stifle free speech. She also advocated for government to lock us down during the COVID outbreak because she said that Americans are, quote, too free-spirited to make the right decision uh, themselves. She is, a, she is a radical leftist Democrat, and this is obvious to 
anyone. It's obvious to everyone. This, this, you don't even have to be politically involved for this to be very obvious. Now, the interesting part of this is Joe Biden is the propagator. He is propagating this. It is under the helm of the Biden administration. The Department of Homeland Security is the executive branch. Biden ostensibly is behind this. Tulsi Gabbard says that he is not. Tulsi Gabbard says, and I follow, or and I quote, Biden is just a front man. Obama on April 21st said social media censors don't go far enough, so the government needs to step in and do the job. Six days later, Tulsi writes, Homeland Security rolls out the Ministry of Truth, aka the Disinformation Governance Board. Obama said that the censorship by big tech, social media platforms, doesn't go far enough. Now, the good news is, is that almost all the big tech platforms now acknowledge some responsibility for content on their platforms, and they're investing in large teams of people to monitor it. Given the sheer volume of content, this strategy can feel like a game of whack-a-mole. Still, in talking to people at these companies, I believe they are sincere in trying to limit content that engages in hate speech, encourages violence, or poses a threat to public safety. They genuinely are concerned about it. They want to do something about it. But while content moderation can limit the distribution of clearly dangerous content, it doesn't go far enough. They think we're going to let this go. They think that we're going to allow this, this, the leak of the Supreme Court opinion overturning Roe v. Wade to distract us from this, this ministry of truth, the fact that 1984 is here. They think that the 24-7 the news cycle where a story is enormous for one day, maybe two, and then people lose interest, their attention spans lapse and we move on. The Biden administration thinks we're going to let this go. We are not going to let this go. This, this week, this week, let's put this in context, zoom out. This week, we saw this leaker identity yet to be exposed. Um, that's, by the way, another thing we should not let go. We should not let the deep state that operate at every level conceal the identity of this leaker. It's the possibility of who this is is like 12 people. They should already know by now. And when they do know, the American people deserve to know who it is. This week, we saw this leaker um, at the Supreme Court cement the Democrats' assault on the judiciary. We now have U.S. senators openly calling for court packing. Um, Schumer, by the way, is also likely to blow up the filibuster um, to try to legislate Roe. So that's an assault on the judiciary. We see an assault on um, the legislature. And Biden, through the executive branch, appoints this minister of truth, Nina Jankowicz. This happened all in the same week. So <laughs> the question is, can Biden destroy all three branches of government all in his first term? He is literally trying his best to do this. And the Democrats, let me tell you, the Democrats are going to have hell to pay at the polls this year. What, what, what are they going to run on? I mean, they, they completely miscalculated leaking this opinion of the Supreme Court that's going to overturn Roe v. Wade. They completely miscalculated. Americans don't want unrestricted abortion. Most Americans want abortion highly, highly restricted. Americans don't want speech codes. They don't want hate speech to be the law of the land. They don't want 1984 Orwellian ministers of truth peering over our so shoulders. Creepy big sister deciding whether our comments are intended to cause her anxiety and therefore the government's justified in, in censoring it because it might cause her not to participate in our democracy, which is an existential threat to our national security. Americans don't want this. So what are the Democrats going to run on? Gas prices? Inflation? 
crime and safety, especially in big cities across the country, what are they going to run on? COVID? The GDP actually contracting, not expanding? Give me a break here. The Democrats are in huge trouble. They're about to get absolutely kneecapped in the midterm elections, and they know it. That's why Biden rolled out the Ministry of Truth, because this is their last-ditch effort, deleting our ability, your ability and my ability, to speak our minds, to expose corruption, to debunk their lies, to push for truth and reality in our country. This is stopping, stifling, censoring our ability to do this is their last ditch, their Hail Mary, their sad attempt to affect the election in November in their favor. That's why Nina Jenkowitz is so dangerous because her toxic ideology is the Democrats' last attempt to try to swing the election in their favor. Do not let the Democrats distract you from how dangerous the disinformation governance board is. Do not let this go until Biden, until she is so toxic in the eyes of the American public based on her own ideology that the Biden administration is forced to fire her and disband the disinformation governance board, this ministry of truth. We are in, it is here. 1984 is what we're living right now and we have to put a stop to it. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Liz Wheeler Show. The Liz Wheeler Show is produced by Jonathan Hay. Executive producer, Chad Abbott. Director of photography, Kevin McRoberts. Editor, Alejandro Figuerilla. Sound mixer, Robin Fenderson. Director of marketing, Emily Washler. Production and talent coordinator, Matt Toffler. And senior publicist, Patricia Jackson. This has been a Soundfront production.